Hi everyone, my name is Eric Cruz Larios. And I am Tony Robles. And welcome to The Seventh Mile. Before we get started with our fourth episode, um, first of all, thank you guys so much for tuning in. But we want to start with a word of prayer just for the Holy Spirit to be with us as we go ahead with this topic. So let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us multiple stories in the Bible that we can learn more about you and really learn new things for our personal life and making it relatable. Allow us to be able to have a good conversation about this topic and also for our viewers or listeners to also be able to learn and relate and apply something from this story. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about Hannah. And for those of you who don't know who Hannah is, uh, her story is found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as indicated by the name of the book, uh, she is pretty much known as the mom of Samuel. To give context as to the situation and the background of how everything is during this time, this is the transition between the judges of Israel towards the kings of Israel. Samuel is known as the prophet who pretty much anoints. He <laughs> anoints kings uh, for Israel because the people want a king. And so he goes on to anoint Saul. And then he also goes on to anoint David. So we're pretty much in like the thick of it, of this transitionary period for Israel where they're kind of over it. And we have this unique look at a family who, despite being in this situation, remains faithful. And as we continue on to study the character of Hannah and her family, they display one unique property that really stands out. Yeah, and we see how, like you were saying, like there's a big shift here between the judges to more like kings. But I think Samuel comes at a perfect time for Israel as he becomes really the the main prophet in the air in the area for God to use in many ways. And he has a lot of important things to do throughout his life. And but all of that would have not happened if it was for her mom, for Hannah. So she is a very important character because God was able to work through Samuel and that wouldn't be the case if Hannah wasn't who she was because she had a very interesting scenario. She was, as you guys will see, she did not have the best of times initially. Yeah. So this is kind of like a really late Mother's Day episode. So yeah. So yeah. Thank thanks, you, mothers. Yeah. Thanks, moms. Um, Happy late Mother's <laughs> yeah, Day. Because we're going to be seeing... Uh, everything that she goes through. So starting off in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're introduced to Hannah's husband, Elkanah. Elkanah literally just means like God has created. It's kind of, it's kind of like the most boring name. Right. <laughs> like, Imagine naming your kid God has created. Yeah, well, you're I like mean, created well, actually, what? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of beautiful. But anyways, like, oh, like this yeah. is God yeah has created um. <laughs> it's it's right it just needs one more thing like one um specific like, like god has created yeah, yeah like god has created peace or the something. earth yeah. god has created something yeah, but yeah so. still god has created yeah. it's a good uh, anyways name for sure. anyways <laughs> aside from that uh so yeah the man with 
the most boring and yet the most beautiful name. Uh, uh, he is literally just immediately described as having two wives. And this is kind of like the the center of the conflict for the rest of the story, as we'll see. So he has two wives, Hannah, and the other one is named Panina. You know, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. But anyways, so Panina has kids, but Hannah doesn't. So if you know anything about the culture of this time, Hannah not having kids is kind of a big deal. Unfortunately, back in those days, if you didn't have kids, it was like almost like your entire worth, you know, um, it, if you weren't able to have kids, like, un unfortunately, it was like, so what, what are you even doing? Like, what is the point? Because to them, uh, especially in like in their in their culture, that was like everything. That was your legacy. That was your future. That's what you passed on. And in their society, that if you weren't able to supply that, it's like, what are you doing, you know? And that's probably the reason that Elkanah even has Panina to begin with, you know? Right. And and it's it's for both for both uh the husband, it's it's good for his status kind of thing, like, oh look how many kids I have, look how many wives mm -hmm. I have, or not. Like it seems to be the case back in the day. But also for for Hannah herself, like when she's older, like, yes, like, what happens if she becomes widowed? Like, yeah. she has no one. Like, mm -hmm. at least uh, Pena, uh, Penina, Penina, mm -hmm. very bad with pronouncing, but at least she has children to care for her if anything wrong happens, you know? But Hannah, she's not going to be taken care of by the kids of the other wife. Like, they'll just be separated. So, like, for both... Just a, just a parallel, uh, it kind of reminds me of the story with Naomi and Ruth. Like the reason Ruth stays with Naomi is because at that point, Naomi has no kids. And because she's a widow with no kids, there's no one to look after her. There's no one to take care of her. And she's seen as worthless to the society. And also I have to remember, like, they don't really own property. They didn't, so it's a big deal. Anyways, yes. Sorry. Very, very big deal. Yeah. Sorry for cutting you off. Yeah. No, all good. Mm -hmm. Um. So... So as we move forward here, it's it's very interesting what happens next. We instantly see something that is very special about this family, and is the fact that they are very consistent with worshiping God. Yeah, it says here that year after year, they went up and did a sacrifice for for the Lord, and it's very interesting how this sacrifice works. It's not the same mm. sacrifice as you see that you take a lamb yeah. and it just gets sacrificed and you forgive your sins. It's a very different uh, sacrifice. Yeah. So when they would go to make their pilgrimage to this place, right, they would offer several different types of sacrifice as as it's written for them to do. Um, so there is like the sacrificial like repentance of sin one, which we're very used to. But there's also worship sacrifices. Uh, and... The reason we're assuming that this is a worship sacrifice is because in that uh, in the story it says Elkan when that day when Elkanah sacrificed he would give portions. So what they would do is they would take one third and one third would go to the priests that were there. Uh, one third would go to God as part of like the worship sacrifice, and one third would give would be to the person who is offering that same worship sacrifice. And so from that portion that Elkanah received. He would give it also to his wife, and it says 
he would give it to Penina and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. So it keeps rubbing it in that she doesn't have kids. And it, it, uh, it's interesting to see that they say specifically the Lord had closed her womb. Because that was really the way they perceived it at the time. Those who were able to have kids were like blessed from God. And if you didn't, it's almost like sin uh, the way or, or like illnesses where it's like right. if, if you weren't able to do it, there's something wrong with you. You know, you haven't been blessed by God. You have, you know, so there must be something going on there. Yeah, it's very interesting how, I mean, they don't have the modern medicine and technology that we have now. So they didn't really have ways to explain things other than saying like, oh, maybe God just closed your womb and and that's how it was meant to be. But yeah, it, it's definitely strictly mentioned here. And this becomes a very easy way to have po- fingers pointed at her especially mm-hmm. as she is still loved as who she is and i think that is something that is very valuable yeah like just a little <laughs> bit it's not really a tangent but like just think about like the husband mm-hmm. like he he he's he loves both but even even hannah who didn't have much to offer he mm. still loved her a lot like specifically is mentioned that he loved her yeah. so like it just thinks about it, I think I just think it's beautiful because like I just see God like in that scenario too. Like what if like sometimes we could be like Hannah and not offer much to God, but he's always there loving us and giving us more than we deserve. And I think that's a very special thing. And yeah, like it says, he he would give her twice the amount, twice the portions of the food. Mm-hmm. And of course, that would upset uh Penina. Penina. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that it I can't imagine you know, Elkanah uh, he's kind of, uh, I really feel for him. He's trying his best. <laughs> uh, it's a tough situation that he's in and he definitely tries his best, but you could easily see how giving that double, that double portion to Hannah, uh, could kind of maybe point it out a little bit too. It, it's a definitely a tough situation, for Elkanah and Hannah and everyone involved. It, it, everything is just... Uh. But, you know, this is also something that points something out about the family is that even though they're in this situation, they're still here. They're still offering worship sacrifices. They're still obeying and following God's commandments. Yeah. And as as I was mentioning, uh, Penina does not just accept the fact that she is like equally being loved i guess by just alkanah giving the the hannah the double the portions because like it says here that that she saw her as her rival or like says her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her i I just think that's a very interesting word of of choice Mm -hmm. like yeah they were family but they it seems like it was almost a competition to see who could have most kids, you know? But apart from that, just the fact that he kept provoking her about that small little issue. And it wasn't only one year. It says also here that it was one year after year after year mm-hmm. once they would go and do this worship ceremony. And eventually that that started Hannah to, in a way, question or or ask 
God, like, why, why is this? Why does like, this keep going on? Why does this keep going on? Like, why can't I have kids? And and it, it says that she she was like upset. She was she was sad, and her husband noticed that. Yeah, it, it says that she was she wept so much that she wouldn't eat. So it's like Elkanah's like, oh, here, eat more, eat more, please. Like, don't be so sad. And she's so sad. I mean, to the point of tears, to the point where she's not hungry. I can only feel for Hannah, you know, um, it, it kind of, it's like chronic pain, you know, it's not something that she's just, you know, her, her, re, the reality of her life is not excluded to just this sacrifice and just this ceremony. I can't imagine even outside of the sacrifice, even outside of the ceremony, she has to deal with the constant reminder that she can't have kids and that her value is lowered because of that. And then on top of that, at this point, at every single year, it is even more pointed out that, yes, Hannah, you do not have kids. You know, <laughs> Elkanah, as we see, he he notices her sad and he's like, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? And he says something really dumb, <laughs> which anyway, he says, am I not better to you than 10 sons? Which, I mean... <laughs> yeah, like... I'm good. Elkanah tries. <laughs> right. But sometimes... At least he tries. Yeah, but I mean, there's kind of a message here a little bit in some ways. It's like sometimes when you're trying to help someone, you can end up even doing more damage than... Uh, than like you can end up hurting someone even more if you do it a, like in the wrong way. Right, and I think knowing how to approach someone that is weeping or just sad mm-hmm. is very important. And I think that's maybe one of the lessons that we'll point out that there is at least two instances in this whole chapter in this story that I see people not really comforting or just approaching someone that is sad the right way and just not really helping. And I think it's it's important to know and to have empathy and to understand what people are feeling or just to try to feel what they're feeling but also not just like try to fix one of first of all not fix their problems because you, you can't fix their problems like here here uh Elkanah is saying like don't I mean more to you than 10 sons like that that should be enough to fix your problem but no like she just may want to have someone hear her or just comfort her you know so I, I think that is very important lesson as far as, at least for me that and it, and it's hard sometimes to to know how to comfort people that are not feeling well, but it's very important to just take a step back and and just know what's best for that scenario. And it's hard; it, it takes practice. Yeah, I'm I'm really bad. At, yeah, I have to comforting too. people. Yeah, I and and it yeah, kind of like you said, you just need to take a step back sometimes. You know, I mean, I. I feel like Elkanah could have easily done more for her if he had just been quiet and like been there for her and been like, you know, what can I do for you? You know, how can I understand, you know, like, tell me more. How do you feel? Like, and I know those sounds so cheesy, but I feel like what Elkanah is doing here is almost like disqualifying her feelings. It's saying, you know, it's like telling a, a depressed person, like, how can you be sad? There's, there's sun outside, there's flowers, there's, you know, you're alive, you know, you can say that, but by doing that, you are, you're literally disqualifying, like, this is my experience, this is how this person feels, and you're saying, 
that doesn't matter, you know, and it's almost implying a level of guilt to Hannah. Like, you know, like you don't have a reason to be sad. Right. Um, which we might not see it like that from our perspective. Uh, so it's really important to know, uh, how to communicate with people. Right. And, and we completely see it again happen in just like four more verses when after Elkanah says that she's like, okay, I'll, I'll just go eat. I'll give it a shot. So she eats, but it says that right after she stood up and went to the Lord, the doorpost of the Lord's house and sincerely like she was pouring out her heart like she she breaks down yeah she breaks down and she's like in her deep anguish like that's Mm -hmm. key words right there deep anguish like i don't know if i've I've probably had a few times where i felt that deep anguish but not very or i don't even know if i and to that level for sure not i don't think so Mm -hmm. but she like weeped and in deep anguish she she goes to the temple she goes to the temple she goes to god she like Mm -hmm. that's her first thing and i think that's something that like a lot of people try to fix their own problems kind of thing right and like or the first thing is like oh well i feel sorry for myself how could i change this how could i do this and that's often what i do but like in this case she goes straight to god she's just she's not satisfied with what elka not told her like she's not satisfied she's like all right, you tried, like, I'll eat and stuff, but she's not satisfied. She goes straight to the source. Mm-hmm. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant, misery, uh, misery, and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Yeah, so she breaks down, she's at the temple, and she makes this promise. Um, and then it kind of transitions in the scene and... I think there's a reason like this, this section is like included because we start seeing her do this, but from the perspective of Eli. So Eli is the priest there. um, And he's watching this woman come and pour her heart out. But to him, and it also kind of speaks to like the, the setting of that time to him He's thinking, oh my goodness, there's another drunk person here. <laughs> no, but yeah, literally. So he he sees her and it says that he sees her he sees her lips moving and she's kind of muttering to herself. I know I mean, if you guys have prayed, I know that's a weird question, but I, I you understand like what she's doing. It's like if you're praying by yourself to God, you're kind of like, you know, you're kind of you're kind of speaking it but not really um because it's also to God. Uh, and she's also pouring her heart out. But Eli sees this and he's like, she's drunk, you know, she's got to be drunk. Um, And he says to her, how long will you behave like a drunk? Get rid of your wine. Um, This is interesting to me because it makes me question not just the spirituality of the time where it's more likely that a drunk person is coming to the sanctuary and babbling about versus someone who's pouring their heart out to God. But it also makes me wonder, like, you know, what is Eli thinking that, like, this is such a, it's such a foreign thing to him of someone, like, genuinely pouring their heart out to God that it's misinterpreted in that way. Right. And even if she was drunk, like, that's not the way for Eli to approach that. Like, he mm-hmm. he's God's servant. Like, he should go and approach her and, like, show her God's love and just be like, Hey, or like, just 
yeah, just just be and comfort her, you know. And instead of comforting her, like if she he saw her weeping, she saw her how bitter she looked or whatnot. Instead of like comforting her again, and that's how that's why I mentioned like right after one, another thing happens, mm. and and instead of doing that, he just goes like, "Go away, put away your wine. How long have you been drunk?" Yeah, and kind of judgy. Yeah, 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 it's kind of <laughs> judgy. So like you start questioning like, "Oh, what, what's." what's going on here and i think it's it's important to see how these two people who were on quotations godly Mm. didn't really raise or help her spirituality in this scenario true and uh kind of like another thing to add on to that like it it's interesting to see how hannah in the world you know you could quote unquote call the world and equate it to penina but she's kind of like hurt by the world. And even when she goes for comfort to God, she's in in a way like hurt at the church, you know? Mm, <laughs> so yeah. She can't really find relief anywhere. Just constant judgment. And how much, yeah, that happens so much mm-hmm. in the church now. And I know a lot of people that still hold a grudge for feeling the least spiritual, yeah. like, feeling at church like judgments and mm-hmm. hypocrisy and all that stuff and <laughs> it happens just because we're humans in this story it's very interesting to read just because we see how this has happened this is not a thing only in the last 200 years or yeah. 500 years <laughs> this has happened throughout history and it's just humans it just mm. because a human may not give you the answer you need or the comfort you need that doesn't mean that religion or God is the same way. Like that doesn't mean God was saying those words, even if he was like the, like the elder or the. Yeah. And, and that's one of like the tougher things. Right. Cause I mean, <laughs> I spend a lot of time online on like forums and stuff and uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, I try to really defend my faith a lot. And so sometimes I'll look up like, anti-christian stuff or like anti-adventist stuff i know that sounds so bad but but i'll do that because i want to know i'm like a very cynical person and i want to know like what are the best arguments against what i believe and what are the best you know reasons for why not to believe what i believe and by doing that that strengthens my faith uh but an interesting thing that i've noticed from like watching uh even specifically anti-adventist stuff the people there have almost always been like the receivers of like the worst sides of like Adventism. That's mm-hmm. what I consistently see. That's like the constant, the constant theme uh, is just like over judgment, uh, over like, anyways, That that's like a whole other thing. But, and it, it just makes me think, you know, how many people, uh, are we hurting that we don't even realize it just by not even like, like thinking about how is this impacting the people around me? How is this making them feel? How is this, you know, we, we, we really have to just keep ourselves in check and uh, really, I think it's more about, we have to acknowledge our preconceived notions about others and also our preconceived notions of our own religion and the way that we serve people at our own churches. Mm -hmm. And I just love how just 
Hannah is not really faced from that. Like mm-hmm. she, yeah. she, she is there for God. Like she's there at the temple for God. She's not there for a human to go mm. and heal her. And she's not there. Eventually Eli does answer Amen. and tells her like, go in peace and the God of Israel will grant yeah. you what you have asked of him. But she wasn't there for him. He was. She was there for God. Yeah, and that comes from the fact that she, you know, you can only have that because she understands the character of God. So when we see her respond to Eli, she's pretty confident. She's like, no, Lord, I'm a woman despairing in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured my soul out before the Lord. And, and so she's pretty much like saying, I'm not drunk. I'm literally here crying my tears out. And so once Eli realizes that, he responds to her, go in peace. And he pretty much is like speaking for God in this sense, uh, which is kind of his job, you know, as the priest, he, he kind of speaks for God. I kind of wonder if he, he even believes what he's saying here. Right. Like, <laughs> he's just like, I, I don't want any conflict. I'm just going <laughs> to send her out. I like, wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, So he's like, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your request that you have asked of him. And she says, let your bondservant find favor in your sight. So she went on her way. And this is this is the really cool part. I mean, man. Hannah, Hannah has a rough, bro. Um, she is so resilient. That's the word that I would use to describe her. So resilient because despite being caught a drunk and despite, you know, crying her eyes out after everything, after even being rejected by the high priest, I mean, how? I mean, we haven't even talked about that. He's the high priest. Mm-hmm. The high priest is literally supposed to be the representation of Christ. For the people of Israel. And imagine the high priest comes to you and says, get out of here, you drunk. You know, <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's tough. So, I mean, thank the Lord that we don't have to deal with a high priest that misunderstands us. Mm. Anyways, but yeah, so, so yeah, she, she displays so much faith here because right after all that happens, after she gets dissed by the high priest, It says this, so the woman went on her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. And to me, what that represents is complete faith, you know, complete faith in what the high priest or complete faith in the fact that God is going to fulfill this, this promise that she's laid down or complete faith that God is going to fulfill this request that she's laid down before him. And it also makes me think of how long has she suffered, you know, because she does go to God with her suffering and it's good that she knows to go to God for peace. But it makes me think how many years has it been that she struggled with this and maybe how much sooner she could have she could have found peace in this situation had she turned to god sooner mm-hmm. and i mean i think about myself you know how often do i struggle with things how often do i not turn to god right away and you know praise god that he does get me out of those situations where i need him to save me but how many times do i not turn to him right away you know so it's 
it's something to think about. And then on top of that, I mean, even continuing on in verse 19. So it says that her face was no longer sad. And then it says, and they got up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. I mean, talk about faithfulness. And it also continues that theme of worship that we've seen. So you have early on in this chapter, this family that despite despite Elkanah not being able to have kids with the woman he loves, and despite him having to deal with his wife every single year, crying and just struggling with the fact that she doesn't have kids, and despite that his other wife rubs it in her face that she doesn't have kids and like berates Hannah, he worships God. And despite Hannah, like I said, struggling that she doesn't have kids, she worships God. So it's like this constant theme of worship. And we see this here as well. So in their struggle, they worship. And in their faithfulness, because that's what they're displaying here, they're having faith that God will keep his promise. They worship, you know. So continuing on, they go back home and they do their business. And it says, the Lord remembered her. And I think that is super, super special because like God took note of those deep conversations she poured out or like how how she poured out her heart to him mm. specifically. And I, I think, I mean, I think God, God remembers everything and every prayer and whatnot, but just I... I just think that impacted him even more or just the fact that she was like giving her whole heart is something that is very so great so amazing and and she ends up getting pregnant and that's such a big blessing and she has he gives birth to a son and it's really cool um her the name samuel she, she picked the name samuel and literally the the name samuel means here according to the bible that it's because I asked the Lord for him. And I think mm. that's really cool because she's giving the credit to, to God here. Like she's not like, Oh, it's because of this person is because of that is it's because of this other person. No, like she's is like, she could have said like, Oh, it's because Eli promised me that God was going to grant me what I asked for. No, like she said, because I asked the Lord for him. So, and, and I think that is, very very special because that goes along to the idea that that like humans are won't be perfect and humans will let you down humans will always let you down and that's a fact like i've had <laughs> people let me down and i've let down a lot of people and mm-hmm. but but god won't forget you god won't forget what you pray to him in deep anguish or just in a normal sense but he will always be there and he won't let you know let you down at all and i think this is something that is very special about her character because she knew where to go and she went there and and just poured her heart out so here we kind of see the culmination of everything and we see god has fulfilled his promise and we pretty much come to the end of the story with hannah keeping her promise in the end because god gave her the baby and now it's time for Hannah to keep her promise. So Elkanah, being the man that God created, <laughs> goes to perform his yearly sacrifices and pay his vows. But Hannah doesn't go because she says she will wait 
until the child is weaned. So that kind of means like breastfeeding, you know, because I mean, they didn't really have bottle feeding then. And I guess she probably didn't want to nurse him with someone else. And I don't think there would be someone else to nurse him. But anyways, so she pretty much says after he's done breastfeeding, I will bring him so that he may appear before the Lord and stay there for his life. So Elkanah tells her, do whatever you think is best. And then we see an interesting parallel, um, not really a parallel, but kind of like they kind of compare Samuel to this three-year-old bull. Uh, in verse 24, it says, now when she had weaned him, when he was fully breastfed, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one epipha flower and a jug of wine and brought him to the house to the Lord of Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. So this is kind of like comparing the bull to the to 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 Samuel. They slaughtered the bull, so they sacrificing the bull, and brought the boy to Eli. So it's kind of juxtaposing Samuel as a sacrifice to God with this bull that is only three years old, which Samuel probably was at this point, being sacrificed to God. And then she says, "Pardon me, my lord, as your soul lives." My Lord, here I am, the woman who stood before you, praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, uh, and the Lord granted me my request. So I have also dedicated to him, to the Lord, as long as he lives, dedicated to the Lord. And it's really cool because as we've kind of had this theme of worship throughout the story, we see that same theme here with worship being performed. And this time, it's really interesting to see because we have worship while they're in pain, we have worship through faithfulness. And we kind of have implied worship after the promise is kept and in times of joy. I mean, even the last verse is she's kind of just praising and worshiping God for keeping his promise and everything. And we see the worship kind of affect someone else. We see the worship spread to to Eli, to the high priest. And it says he worshiped the Lord there. And I think it kind of speaks to the impact that we have to people that are around us. It's kind of like showing the impact of a testimony almost of seeing someone else have their trials and yet come out faithful to God and God giving them a blessing. Yeah. It's just kind of like a cool way to wrap up the story. Yeah. uh, Like you said, like a testimony, I definitely see that because she had her troubles and she mm. just stayed firm. And like you said, they worshiped and the good and the bad and when everything was well and whatnot. And at the end, that actually impacted Eli in a very positive way as well. It says like he worshiped um, there, also mm. worshiped the Lord there. And I think that is very interesting. And that's something that we could definitely take out from this story. And also just the fact that, that, we just had to rely more on, on God and, and everything. And I'm, I I know that's very cliche and everyone's like, yeah, just focus on God and stuff or not, but we shouldn't rely our faith on people. And I think that is very important because like mm. she could have easily gotten upset and get completely just deny God or just turn away the other side completely yeah. after the mm-hmm. other wife would like criticize her or after even the high priest just looked down upon her and didn't even consider her as someone that was seeking God or being in anguish and giving her heart out. Like she could have easily just been turned off from religion from that. And, and sometimes we like 
give people a big like chunk of our hope for or like our understanding of god and i think she does not do that and that's what sets her apart and makes her a special mom because she goes ahead with a promise and mm-hmm. and sort of sacrifice sacrifices her son to the service of god yeah and something i i can't help but feeling is like imagine you're eli how how bad must you feel like that kind of stinks like i mean not okay not that kind of stinks but it's like imagine you ridicule someone for being drunk and then you you come back and you see how how god has like they come back to the same church and like god has impacted their life they've been blessed by god and like all these things it's like you must feel really dumb and you probably must feel really bad as well and something i also (laughs) noted with tony a little bit earlier when they're talking about the sacrifices uh that they're bringing so they bring a three-year-old bowl they're bringing an epaph of flour and they also bring a jug of wine which is kind of funny because earlier on eli literally tells hannah like three years ago how long have you will you behave like a drunk get rid of your wine and she comes back with wine so yeah i think that's pretty <laughs> it's ironic. almost kind of like rubbing in his face like right yeah like this is me this is the same person I'm here with my wine. <laughs> right. And yeah. you're totally right about him kind of being slapped in the face in this scenario because he probably just said like, okay, go with peace. God will listen to you. Not expecting that she will actually come back and do what she was told. Cause I'm sure he's had multiple experiences when people did not follow through with her, with their promises. But the fact that she came back and she was happy to give him away to for God's service, like that kind of showed him a different, yeah, like that, mm-hmm. that kind of just reminded him of who he was and, and gave him a big responsibility too, like a big responsibility to care for the son of this Very woman. True. So, yeah. I mean, I can imagine Samuel was probably like a reminder to him, like probably for the rest of his life, like, this is the son of that woman that you caught a drunk <laughs> and like, he, it, huh? That's kind of a, like a little bit of ironic, whatever. Um, so yeah, but yeah, this is a truly a great story. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I guess we'll finish it off with a quick word of prayer. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for, watching over us as we conduct this little dive into the character of Hannah and how she impacted the people around her, even the high priest. And God, I thank you for the fact that, you know, you are our high priest, as you say in Hebrews, and that you truly understand us. You understand our struggles. You understand what we're going through, and we don't have to deal with being misunderstood. So, despite the fact that the world around us may think negative things about us, we always have the comfort of knowing that we can come to you whenever when we're in distress. So Lord, please remind us to come to you, Lord, and just continue to work in perfecting our characters through your name, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast and As always, I just want to ask you guys to keep the conversation going within yourselves. And if something stood out to you guys or you guys want us to touch on something specific, please uh, send us a DM at 
the seventh mile on instagram we would love to hear what you guys thought about the podcast or any questions you guys might have or any favorite stories in the bible you guys would love us to cover on a bonus episode or an episode so thank you guys so much for the support we appreciate it and i hope you guys have a blessed day